a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Emily, Stephen, how are you this week? Very well, my friend. Uh, Thank you. I'm I'm doing well, yes. Amazing. I'm curious what you guys are drinking this week. I have a wonderful person in my church who gave me a mix of peach sweet tea that's caffeine free which that is just like everything i want in one so i'm giving it a try (laughs) today uh on this kind of nice summer day and it's wonderful truly wonderful so thank you dixie for this wonderful mix of peach sweet tea (gasps) that is not caffeinated do you know a dixie that's not my dixie there's more of them i do she is she is the sweetest little old lady. She's seriously like four foot six, like late 80s. And she wears the coolest Victorian collared shirts every Sunday. <laughs> She's the sweetest. That's amazing. Truly, like the sweetest um, other than your Dixie. Like she is the next best sweet. Well, Dixie you don't have ever. to you don't have to rank the Dixies. There's so few of them that I don't They're think they equal. would want to be ranked anyway. Yeah. No. They're equal. I agree. They're equal. Steven, did your Dixie provide a drink this week? Oh, well, I am drinking. Mm. I had made a French press this morning of our No Normal People coffee blend. So I guess in that sense, she kind of did. Sort of. You know, because we sell this coffee for our other podcast. So I made this French press and I didn't drink it all this morning. Um, So I am just drinking that over ice right now. Oh. Yeah. Thanks. I hate it. Okay. Okay. Um, that's rude. I'm drinking. It's delicious. It's still delicious. <laughs> you know? Don't at do me. Do your own thing. The best cup of coffee is the cup of coffee you have because that means that's better than no coffee. So. Okay. Still do feels like you, you don't quite believe that though because you're throwing a shade. No, I, I don't really. <laughs> um, I'm drinking, I'm drinking beer from Billings today. Oh. Hey, nice. Which one of my one of my friends just did a Billings trip and they brought me back some Thirsty Street Brewing Company Staycation IPA. So if you're in Billings, you should definitely go drink this because I think this is some of the tastiest beer I've ever drank in my life. Wow. I'm not even that much of an IPA person, but this is the original IPA that I fell in love with. I feel like every time you have an IPA, you make sure to tell us that you're not really much into IPA, yeah, but it's yeah but you seem to drink it quite often so maybe okay. having a change of palate who knows you know maybe it's just like i know what i like so i know how to like pick one now maybe that's mm, it there you go but like this one is like not hoppy it's fruity it's delicious mm. wonderful it's really good steven you should go try it that's good for your triple digits that are coming to seattle 
my friend. Oh my gosh, yeah. Stay it's cool. Like, I think it's triple digits right now. So that Stay is frosty. why I'm drinking a, a beer today. Excellent. Uh, we don't have any announcements today, I don't think. We don't have any new patrons who bought our drinks. Thank but you to the okay. existing patrons that continue to buy oh, us yeah, drinks, thank you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And this is Emily's second to last episode for a bit. If you haven't been listening in, she's yeah. very pregnant. It's actually very possible she will have a baby today on the podcast. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> okay, it, very I unlikely. I don't think it is. I don't, that's not the vibe I got from our pre-recording well, chat. You never really? know. Really? I don't know. You said the baby has breached. No, yeah, that just means so that's the position. That's just the position that we're, we're trying to get her so her head is towards my birth canal. Because right now she's sitting in a V, which she's like halfway there. We just yeah. got to... We gotta finish Whoa, it. Oh, we're halfway there. Oh, Lord. Whoa! So close. <laughs> okay, okay. So it turns out it's very unlikely that yeah. you will have Breach a Breach is a positioning episode. question. But, it's not like she's dilating or but anything. Oh, still. I totally thought that breaching this whole time meant that, like, you've seen her. No. Oh, oh my God. What? And oh, you think what? she would okay. be in her armchair recording Ravel? Well, I don't know. I've never had a baby before. I'm obviously very ignorant about Longest pregnant birthing. lady ever. She's just very chill. Y'all, just drinking oh her caffeine-free my. peach tea. I have to make a podcast. Just Sorry, Emily. <laughs> anyway, long story short, this is Emily's second to last episode. If everything goes according to plan, maybe she'll yes. have a baby before the next one. But either right. way... Um, Ravel will continue while she's on maternity leave. That's right. We have guest hosts from our sister podcast that'll be filling in, and it'll be so cool to hear the conversations that Ravel out and to come back on and to say, you know, as I listen, because I'm going to be listening. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to need something to do while I'm breastfeeding and changing diapers. So uh, give them a listen, you know, just just because I'm hopping off. Don't stop. We have great hosts that are going to be filling in and amazing topics that they're going to be covering. So continue to share the love of Ravel and hear what our hosts have to say. Oh, couldn't have said it better. So good. Well, while we still have you, Emily, I have been thinking about something for a long time. Okay. And I don't quite know how to word it as a question. So let me start here. Um, because I think that both of you are probably both interested in this too. I've been thinking more and more lately, especially the last year or so, about the relationship between religion and culture Mm -hmm. and the way Mm. that they affect each other or possibly have maybe a symbiotic relationship. I think that I've been interested in this for a while because not only did I grow up Christian and I still find myself religious-ish, but I also have a sociology degree. And I think that I am just like super interested in the way that society functions and changes over time. And of course, religion does the same thing. And I just like can't stop thinking about it. And I want to talk about it with you guys. Absolutely. So what do you see if you think about the relationship between religion and culture? What is the first thing that comes to mind for you? The first thing on my mind is kind of language around like counterculture, I guess. Mm. Mm-hmm. At least in the, uh, the veins of Christianity, I'm very familiar with. Usually I see like prominent leaders essentially trying to create like the thing against what they call like primary secular culture. Right. So it's always like mm-hmm. maybe it's not re- maybe reactionary isn't the quite the right word for it, but it's usually trying to almost like pit against they say 
this, but we are trying to teach our kids and like raise our community around these values, you know? I think that's really prominent in the U.S. from my experience also. Yeah, I would agree. I I mean, I don't think it's everyone, but I do think you're right. I think a lot of people intentionally use us versus them language when it comes to like we the religion versus the culture. I do think a lot of people set it up that way. Right, right. The thing I've been puzzling over is Mm -hmm. when it's like we the religion are going to be like speaking truth to the secular culture or something like that, but they don't. At least it seems to me they don't recognize that in by so doing, they're creating their own culture. It's kind of like what we talked about with um, our episode, Where in the World is My Theology? Like talking about like where our influences Mm. come from. From my vantage point and like the amount of time I've spent thinking about it, it's very curious that usually it's like it's a counterculture movement saying we're not going to be we're not going to do what the secular people are doing, but they don't recognize that they're creating their own culture. By doing so, it's like they just... You don't think so? What? I feel like I have encountered those attitudes before where people do realize that they are creating their own culture. Like, I've specifically heard people from Bethel or very Bethel-influenced, or even a couple other churches for that matter. I don't think it's Mm, just them. Sure. Um, Who, Mm -hmm. like, specifically talk about, like, the seven mountains of culture, they call it. Like, they specifically want to influence and create culture. And I've noticed mm -hmm. that people who use that language tend to use less of the us versus them language, even though there's still like a hint of it because they they're trying to advocate for change, I think. But to me, that seems pretty cognizant of the fact that they know that they are creating culture. Hmm. Yeah. And maybe maybe what I was trying to point out was the move before that one, where in trying to create a counterculture there's sometimes seems to be like a belief that, well, we just have the truth of the Bible. Like we are, we are actually neutral in the way we're like rejecting secular culture. And we're just trying to do the right, like the one right way to do things. Yeah. I'm I'm vibing off of everything you guys are saying. Like I do not have a change of opinion whatsoever. (laughs) It makes sense, especially. And I think it's important that we're talking about like the United States culture versus other cultures. Yeah, because I'm sure that it differs in other parts of the world. It must. Yeah. Although, I mean, I guess we did talk about this a little bit on our missions episode. I feel like there's an air of this in Christian mission work, right? How so? Like, not only do people feel motivated to, quote unquote, spread the gospel or convert people or like whatever language people put to it. I feel like there's also an air of sharing the culture of Christianity. Yeah. Which obviously has been used in good ways and not good ways. Well, and that's what I was wondering is how much are we actually sharing of Christian culture when we participate in mission work? Or is it the American culture first before the Christian culture? Mm. Oh, yeah. Like, what are we actually highlighting? That is a, that's a fair question. You know, I wrote, um, I do a monthly newsletter for my church. And even though I'm going on maternity leave, I still said that I would write my monthly newsletter inserts. And so for July, I talked a little bit about this idea of our allegiance and this concept of freedom and how we in the United States culture were proud to say, you know, one nation under God. Yet it feels like sometimes we're putting God under the nation. (laughs) 
And where do we where do we hold a balance as an American citizen and as a Christian? Like, I think the same applies for culture. Are we representing American culture first or are we representing a Christian culture before anything else? And how do we set? Is there a precedent for one? Is it a balancing act? How do we how do we handle this idea of religion and culture and identity? I think that's exactly where I'm so fascinated with it, because like I, on a personal level, have felt many different things about this throughout the years. And I'm sure you guys have as well. Mm -hmm. Like I felt everything from like feeling super resonant with the us versus them mentality to the I want to create and influence the culture and the country around me to, oh, maybe religion shouldn't actually have any meaningful impact on society and everything in between. And I feel like those are all really distinct views. And to be honest, I'm still not quite really sure exactly where I fall right now. What are some things that you're like grappling with right now? I think the biggest thing that I keep coming back to is the Jesus we find in the Bible compels us to love our neighbor as ourselves. which if we actually do that, will have meaningful impact for our communities and therefore the larger communities. But I don't actually know how focused we should be on those bigger things. And if that's actually distraction for loving the person right in front of us. Oh, You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, because then we could easily talk about like the thousands of Christians who have like gotten into politics or have like started political lobbying organizations or even organizations that are doing like NGO work mm-hmm. here and overseas. Like there's tons of examples that we could point to about that, that like there's lots of Christians that feel compelled by their faith to influence the world around them in meaningful ways, no matter what it is. Yeah. Are there elements of culture and religion that you see as overlapping or similar? Or do you think that they are elements that feed into one another and therefore like it's like comparing apples to oranges, sort of speak? Well, I think what's also so fascinating to me is that there's a lot of people that act like there is no overlap. Mm-hmm. But I see the overlap in each person, like regardless of whether someone has full deconverted from Christianity or they're wrestling and raveling out their faith, like the overlap between religion and culture is each person mm-hmm. who has ever touched religion, in my opinion. I like that. Yeah. What do you think, Stephen? I'm just kind of taking it in right now. Hmm. I like the way you just said that, Josh. Um, because if literally, if if an individual is the overlap, then the natural thing would be to emphasize like the Christ compelled love for neighbor, like the person in front of you rather than trying to grow your sphere of influence too wide, you know, and all of a sudden now you're trying to affect Congress or bigger entities. Whereas I don't know if, 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 if someone who really wants to transform the culture in a way to look more Christian, like it seems like it should be natural that we start with the people in front of us. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like power and influence are pretty seductive. Mm. So if you can grow a lobbying organization and 
get into politics or get into the arts and entertainment or things like that. I don't really know where I'm headed with this, but maybe it is really honest for some people to really want to seek after power and influence of culture. Because I think that by proxy, what they're doing is acknowledging that some people have more power than others, especially in our country. Mm -hmm. And that even if they're successful as they wanted to be in gaining influence or whatever, like religiously over people who have power in our country or like influencing them for good to do the most good. I do think they're being really utilitarian about it. Like they, I think <laughs> they have the best intentions to do the most good, mm-hmm. whether or not they're successful in it. Mm. Do you see power and influence being the same thing? Oh, that's a good question. Mm. Oh man. I mean, I guess like in common use, influence is like taking on a new definition in a lot of people's minds, I think, like the Instagram influencer or... That's what I... Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Because they don't necessarily have... Well, that's not... Okay, so they have power, but is it the same type of power? So I think that's something that needs to be established as well. Like, we all have the power to do something, but we don't actually have, like, the means to do it unless we have this other tier of power like if i was a political you know head figure i would then have power to do something versus right now i have a different scope of power well and then Mm. that's not even taking into consideration like the different hierarchies and power structures within christian denominations Mm. like each one Mm -hmm. is a little bit different but it's also really interesting to me that within those denominations where power is not decentralized, mm. that people still talk about influencing the broader culture around them when even within Christianity, it would be extremely difficult for any one person not in power to influence something within that denomination. Mm-hmm. Which then, for me, also makes me think about like the culture within religion and how people can actually produce change. Like, I think, truly, I think there's a lot of people in Christianity right now or tangential to Christianity who want to see change take place. Mm. Do you think that's why a lot of megachurch pastors are obsessed with leadership summits? Oh, man, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, what is that phenomenon? That is like... I have no idea. So interesting. Because I was in on that for a good number of years at my last church. And... Mm-hmm. Yeah, what was that like? Well, I mean, I I really do get it. Like there there is that underlying belief like everyone's a leader and the the best way to like grow a healthy culture in a church they talk about like to an, empower everyone to essentially be a leader over something. And because really it just like encourages a sense of ownership and a sense of like uh pride, but they probably wouldn't want to use the r- word pride for it. But it's just like, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm changing the world a little bit at a time. Which I actually feel like that can be super meaningful. Oh, it totally is. Like a lot of people think that that is meaningful. So therefore it is, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know if I well, have enough I'm... distance from it to really have many good thoughts on it right now, if I'm honest. Yeah, I don't know. Well, so Josh, you were bringing up, you know, denominationally. A culture. What about local, like just looking at local church uh, culture? You know, we have two different Lutheran churches here in Cody, but they are very different churches 
culturally. Hmm. And I think that's something that breaks down even further when you start looking at individuals attending that church, who's the pastor of that church, who's on staff at that church. And culture's a very messy word, I think, to grapple with when we talk about anything, really. <laughs> you mm. know, we talk about sex culture or we talk about or purity sport, culture. Purity culture. We talk about sports culture. Well, okay, Evangelical so now we're in, culture. Yeah, exactly. so many. Exactly. So there's so many branches using this word that breaks down even further. It's like the branch becomes the twig and then the twig has a little leaf and then that leaf has an ant on it. And like, where does it end? Where do we actually start? Do we start with the individual? I would think so. But is that too small to start with? Because it's too contextual at that point. I like to think of, this is a very casual definition. I like to think of culture as the tension in the air between two people. Say more. Like, there is a unique social dynamic between two people in a relationship. Mm. And especially when there's more than two people in that relationship. Whether it's romantic or work or religious or just social. There is a different dynamic in a room when people are in relationship with each other. And in my opinion, I think that's a great definition for culture in general, because that can describe like a small group that can describe a marriage that could describe a church culture or society at large. So there has to be at least two people then. Yeah, I think so. I think it starts there. Okay. But I think it's specifically like the relationship between mm -hmm. people. Mm. Okay. And it's not just. It might, I don't know. I guess you could just describe it as a social dynamic, but I do think that there's something unique beyond just the social dynamic, if yeah. that makes sense. My brain immediately went to the verse where it was like, wherever two or three are gathered, there my spirit is also. Is the Holy mm -hmm. Spirit just a culture yeah. then? <gasps> oh. Emily, our registered professional, is the Holy Spirit <laughs> just a culture? No. Okay, well, that's a fine opinion to have. You believe it's a person? I don't believe it's a person. I believe it's it's an entity. Mm -hmm. Oh, like it can. Is that heretical? Be. Is heresy bad? Let's refer back oh, okay. to our. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Refer back to that. It's different. Remember, a library heresy of Ravel episodes different. about heresies, right? Um, well, in that case, why would you say no then? If you think that the Holy Spirit is an entity and not necessarily a person, like if there's some sort of difference there. Mm. What prevents you from saying that culture is the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit is present in? I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's, maybe it's I, just semantics. I, yeah. I think it's, I think the Holy Spirit participates in culture, but it is not culture itself. Okay. Yeah. I, I can get on board with that. Okay. Although if like someone's going to believe in God, like why wouldn't you believe God is present in any relationship, but more than also? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. I think that tracks. Yeah. It's got the Josh thumb of approval. And my, my <laughs> mind just went there based on the way you were describing it, Josh. Like, it requires at mm -hmm. least two people, right? Like, the tension or, uh, yeah. like, electricity in the air between two people is the culture of that, right? Yeah, I like that. I think so. I think that sounds right. Mm. I don't remember exactly when I took it out, but in my Twitter bio, I used to have culture influencer. And this was before I like huh. knew about the, huh. uh, like Fart. the 
this was definitely before I knew about the connotations behind Instagram influencer. But and I totally came from it from the angle of people talking about religion influencing the culture. Mm, okay, and I was totally on board with that, and I was like, well, I'm a cultural influencer because like I live in a culture, so therefore I influence it from my faith. Right. And I was so on board with that. Are there distinct markers you look for? Well, so like Josh, being part of uh, the leadership team at work, how much conversation happens around like maintaining or creating healthy culture in the shop, like among among the employees, but also like employee to customer relationship and all that? Oh, I think quite a bit. Actually, it's probably the place that I've done the most culture training at Mm -hmm. and been on both sides of. So I feel like we get quite a bit, but I also feel like the church also does that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Like pretty explicitly. And which, if we're honest, it kind of gets us back to that idea of like indoctrination isn't necessarily bad. That's it's just the tool for which someone is essentially downloaded with the the culture of a specific place. Right. Mm -hmm. Like when you train a new barista, you are indoctrinating them with all your ways, all your practices, all your numbers, (laughs) all your measurements. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, what's interesting, though, about a church, okay, well, I guess coming from the Methodist perspective, Mm -hmm. because it is not like this for every church, you have the church culture, which you have your statistics and your, your algorithms and everything that's kind of finite. But when you have a new pastor, they are bringing in a new culture with Mm -hmm. them that they now have to mesh together with this context. And it's very fascinating. It's a joyful and stressful process, but it's it's one that's important if you want um, if you want your church to be thriving. I don't want to say the word successful. But if you want your church to be a thriving community, entity, whatever, it's important to acknowledge the context and the culture that the church has and what they want and what they had before Mm. and how they can change with change of leadership, with change of those attending the church. Um, It's a big, big deal. How would you articulate to someone, maybe someone like outside of church context, how would you explain to someone why it's a big deal? Because I also think about those things, like mm-hmm. especially now that I'm in a an official leadership position. Like, of course, I've thought about like, how do I influence the people around me? And like, what like energy and environment do I bring to the space I'm in? Of course, I've like thought about that for a long time, mm-hmm. especially because I'm in a, I've usually been in social jobs mm-hmm. in the last five or six years. But like now that I'm in an official position of leadership, I definitely think about it more and in different ways. Like, how do I build a team? Like, how am I curating a good, healthy work culture through me? And when it comes to something like the church, like, how do you talk about and put words to the gravity of a church culture being healthy? Like, how would you explain that to someone? That's a really good question. I think the first thing that comes to mind is trying to emphasize the reason why it's important is because as a church and breaking that down to be as a community of Christians who are striving to be Christ-like in the world, 
culture is important to understand because it's something that changes just as the church does. And if we are to be Mm. present and if we are to live out a call, a mission, this identity to being Christ-like, then we need to acknowledge the culture around us, whether that be in the community, in the church, or both, Um, especially both I would actually advocate for. And to know that it's something that's not stagnant. It's something that is very fluid. Now, whether or not it changes a year from now is one thing. You know, it the church, there are elements of the church that have not changed for hundreds of years. And yet there are some that have. And yet there's still this identity that we hold on to that is important. And I think culture helps ground us in that. So the culture of Cody and the culture of Cody United Methodist Church is important to know how there's a balance. Who's involved? Who's not involved? Why are they not involved? Because they can bring something to the table. They can bring something to enhance the life of the church, to enhance the life of the community, and to show that there is an importance for everyone to participate in whatever capacity that looks like is up to them, and that can be determined, but it's still important. And just showing Mm. that, that collaboration, I think, is what I would really strive to emphasize. So you would emphasize like bringing people into a culture. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay. And not forcing. That's the thing. It, it wouldn't be right, you have right. to you have to now be cookie cutter member number 72 or whatever. It's you are still authentically <laughs> yourself. You are now a part of this specific culture mm. and you can still hold on to the things that make you uniquely you. And showing that church should be a place that creates that environment. But we can acknowledge that that doesn't always happen. And I think if I was to be on this podcast and to say, that always happens, I'd be shooting myself in the foot and I would be fired. (laughs) Because Mm. we know Mm. that the church does not always provide that space. Mm. And it should. Mm. It needs to. But it's not. And so what can we then do to change that? I'm thinking, so my mom works as a lab tech out in the Seattle area. And she's talk, she talks about like when she is processing samples down in the lab, she talks about those, what they, what they literally call lab cultures, where they take a sample from a patient or, you know, some other source. And it, like, it's like that, the, the Petri dish moment, right? They create a culture of either something that is an infection that they want to look at more, or they find healthy tissue that they want to look at and see like, what are the differences between the affected tissue and the good tissue? So that we can like figure out a way to encourage the healthy culture to grow versus the unhealthy or infected culture to grow. I guess another word for it is probably we're describing like ecosystems, especially in the way things are interconnected. Does that feel right to you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that the way you're highlighting that. Mm-hmm. So, Emily, this isn't necessarily a question for you. This is just a question for the table is. What are markers that we ought to be looking for that indicate an unhealthy culture so that, I don't know, maybe we just know that we're walking into something that we need to be uh, just aware of, protected against? Mm-hmm. What are, I mean, you, you both are in leadership positions, um, both at the church and at the, the coffee shop, Josh, and I'm in a leadership position in my office as well. 
and part of like the hiring process at this point. So what, what do we look for in as like indicators that maybe someone would be, uh, I don't know, damaging the ecosystem or poisoning the well. That's a, that's a metaphor Mm -hmm. we have for Mm -hmm. this very thing is like one thing in the well basically kills and renders all the water in the well unusable to drink. Yeah. Oh man. Wow. That is a good question. I'm thinking about several things right now. Mm -hmm. Um, The first one that comes to mind is cheesy and cliche as it sounds is accountability. I think we could do an entire episode about accountability culture Mm. in Christianity. But I think that in general, if you like, you can't hold someone in power accountable within an organization, then there's something inherently at fault or no, like, like something's just going to go wrong. Like if you literally can't hold someone accountable, sure. Like whenever mm-hmm. they mess up, cause they're going to mess up at some point, whether it's like extremely abusive or it's just like a small mistake. Mm-hmm. Like if you can't hold someone accountable, like that culture is just going to de- deteriorate eventually. Yeah. So the way from a little higher up the, I don't know if we want to use a ladder metaphor at this point, but like, you know, in, in our positions of leadership, then to encourage a culture of accountability is our job to model essentially a culture of transparency. Right? Yes. Right. But to be honest, that problem might be more restricted to super hierarchical structures, mm, mm-hmm. like maybe a community centric organization, like the Amish, even though there's like some loose hierarchy there, mm. maybe a more community model isn't as susceptible to some of those problems when it isn't just one or two people in charge, basically, you know, Mm, that's true. Yeah. That's my first thought. So the higher the ladder goes in like a hierarchy sense, the more transparency we ought to expect from the people higher on the ladder to encourage that accountability. Yeah, I think so. I like the way that sounds. I think. Mm hmm. We're going to take a quick break to say a few thank yous, then we'll be back to our conversation. Thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Y'all are such a huge encouragement to us. If you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash Ravelpod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, The Whiskey Bench. is the alternative consumers. I mean, before this, this legislation came about because everybody realized that this was happening, right? So like, we totally. don't necessarily need that to know that these supply chains are linked to slave labor. Yeah. So is there just a role for consumers to give a shit and to make that choice themselves and to boycott certain products? Maybe. I mean, that is in many ways, that's more powerful than government sanctions, right? Like everyone's yeah. competing for our market share. And now back to the conversation. Can you say your question again? Because I totally had another thought and I lost it now. Um, the question is like, what what are indicators or things we look for that would be a potential threat to an otherwise healthy culture? Like, 
if we are inviting someone new Ooh, yeah. into the ecosystem, right? You're making a hire at the shop or, you know, Emily is having a staff turnover at the church. Like, what are you looking at for like in a new person that could potentially like ruin what you've built thus far in a healthy culture? Okay. I think it depends on what you value. Do you value replication more or do you value innovation more? I know that sounds so businessy. That is so true. That is so true. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. And like if all you want to make is a carbon copy, then just look for exactly what you've built before. Here's a prime example. So our music director recently retired. He had been there for 27 years. Okay. Mm. Wow. Phenomenal guy. I mean, truly was well-rounded in the world of music. Okay. Everyone loved him. He was funny. It was great. He comes out saying he's retiring. We all say our goodbyes. And so we're looking for a new person to fill the position. And one of the things I kept hearing over and over again was we need to have someone fill his role. And I remember reminding them saying this was not his role. It was his role, but it is not a matter of filling his shoes. We have new shoes to fill. This is a completely new slate. This is a chance for us to do something new. And what was great is we could acknowledge all the work that he had put in and all the great things that came from him and to say, those were good. Now let's see what we can do moving forward. And so when we hired our new music director, who's 26 years old, you know, everyone was a little, oh, she's young. Does she know what she's doing? Well, here's something that she was able to bring to the table that he wasn't. She actually has a background in music ministry. So she actually has a theological background when it comes to worship, Mm. not just someone who performs, not just someone who can play 50 instruments, but she's someone that understands why we play the songs that we do. How do we fit worship and music with communion, with funerals with weddings you know things like that she actually has an understanding from a theological stance and our music director before did not have that and so i think innovation is more important than replication 100 percent. you can acknowledge the work that someone has done and that's great and then you can say let's move forward let's use this as a chance to grow mm. And to see what remains and what changes. And I think that is completely okay. I think so too, personally. But I can acknowledge that not everybody has that value for their culture. Yes. Like, I think that some people, <laughs> Mormons have been in the back of my head this entire time. I should just say it. Okay. <laughs> Get it out the Mormons. Okay. I think value replication more than innovation. Hmm. Like, that's why Mormons are so stereotypical. <laughs> now, is that a you bad know? thing? Well, they would say no. Right. Right. Like for their organization and like what they want to build, they just want to replicate people. Exactly. And we have to acknowledge that that's okay. What works for one group is not going to necessarily work for another. And that doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just different. I think that when we talk about the culture at large, at least in America, this is the sense that I get. I think that when most people think about the larger secular culture, I think most people think about innovation. Mm-hmm. Even in the relationship between religion and culture, like I think even those people who, those people, I <laughs> sounds so dumb saying that. <laughs> I think that those people who think more about how can we as the religious people influence culture for the better, I think that what they're really thinking about is innovation. Yeah. Mm. 
And I think that anyone, regardless of political party, who thinks about changes they want done in this country, it's usually pretty innovative. It's not like everyone wants this country to stay the same. Yeah. In fact, if the if the only thing we can agree on at this point is that we want to change something. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. well, that brings me to this then. Should you also want to change your own religion? Because I think there's lots of people who have grown up in Christianity that are discontent with at least one thing. Mm, yeah, right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that it's our history of reformation, right? Yep. And if it's not a successful yeah. reformation, it's just another like split that we get to talk about. Mm-hmm. Does what I want matter, though? Like, if I want the religion to change, like, at a, at a certain point, like, I'm thinking of Emily's music director analogy, you know, like, there may have been pressure for her young new music director to fill like I'm going to make up a name like the mark shaped hole left behind instead of the music director shaped hole, right? Mm-hmm. And like <laughs> regardless of I don't know, like the, there is going to be inherent pressure from either a hierarchical system or just like a community driven value system that says like you got to conform a little bit at least, right? I don't know. I I feel like that's why the prophets always got dunked on in the Old Testament is like they were they were calling out against the culture of the Israelites, against the culture of the kings and power structures just don't like that. So like even the even if the prophets do want to change things, like Mm. I don't know if it mattered that much to the to the ones that like it got killed. I mean, the same could be said for Jesus. Oh, yeah. Right. Absolutely. Totally. What he said was like too revolutionary. Mm hmm. And it got him hated enough that he got murdered mm-hmm. by religious people, <laughs> which like what? Like by people who, when you put it that way, like sounds so extreme. <laughs> but it was people who had created a culture around very earnest beliefs, and that didn't like their culture being challenged. Mm-hmm. So I guess that that is a conversation that has come up on Ravel in the past. Is like how much work should we try to do within the church to like be the change that we want to see in the church versus like, when's the right time to just like dust the sand off your feet and walk away. Emily, I liked what you said earlier about like welcoming people in. And it made me think about there's at least two options between the relationship between culture and religion versus in my head, I'm imagining like a circle of religion. Mm-hmm. And culture is on the outside of it, and religion is welcoming people in, yeah, to religion. Like so, it's like more inward focused. Versus, there's another way of thinking about it where you are more outward focused. Like people literally use the word outreach. Yeah, right. Ooh, yeah. So like religion reaches out from like going towards culture. But what are your thoughts around like the way culture? in the times and society, et cetera, whatever you want to use. What are your thoughts on like how external things from religion affect religion? Because I think that it goes both ways. Like it's obviously a two-way street in my mind. Kind of like my point earlier about like the person is the overlap. Like inevitably something is going to affect something. Mm -hmm. Like off the top of my head, I can think of plenty of voices I've heard talk about the dangers of culture influencing us. Like be careful what you watch. Like, it's going to scar you forever. Oh, yeah. I remember. You like, know, like stuff like that. Growing up, you know, and there are still some 
movement that, you know, hold on, like Harry Potter being evil. And the I remember when like the first couple books came out and they would host these burnings of these books because of the culture within Harry Potter and witchcraft and and all these other elements and and it, it at some point you have to be able to say am i firm enough in my faith that i can read this book and not turn to <laughs> witchcraft mm. but also if you explore witchcraft or being a wiccan i more power to you because you're now trying to ravel out what you actually believe and what you find to be wholesome in your spirituality like i me personally i read harry potter books i read lord of the rings you know all these other folklore and fairy tales and whatnot and i am still firm in who i am as a christian i can enjoy a good book <laughs> and that's okay <laughs> mm. the way you word that reminds me of like how some people have this correlation with the word exploring as if like exploring is like a slippery slope. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I think that people use that connotation when whenever it's talked about like exploring a different spiritual practice or I'm exploring my sexuality and people associate that word, I think, in those contexts with, well, it's like going to be a slippery slope and like you're just going to like dive off the deep end. Yeah. When like obviously that's a fallacy. And in my mind, the word exploring more describes learning it yeah it should mm. <laughs> right like we should be excited that someone explores christianity just as much as we're excited that they explore any other religious tradition because it's good to learn about other people's religious traditions right yeah that's a pet peeve of mine personally yeah. <laughs> i'm glad you brought yeah. that up so i could rant about it you know what really <laughs> grinds my gears <laughs> that kind of attitude it, it feels like we've finally found the the safe place on the western frontier and like don't go beyond the walls of the fort because like bears and wolves are out there you know mm. that's the way i feel that or hear that mm. like the exploration part of it is actually putting you in danger that's at least the way it would be interpreted mm -hmm. kind of like um you know the uh i don't know if you guys saw it yet but the new disney film luca no I yes not. i am obsessed with it okay Okay, so not too many spoilers for Josh, but basically no. there are sea monsters that live at the base of this island, basically like under the water off the coast of Italy. And the the parents of Luca, this little sea monster like fish fish, he's a shepherd but a fish, what would you call that? A fishered? Um a fishered. Yeah. <laughs> like he shepherds fish? Yeah. Or he yeah. is a fish. Okay. No, he's a sea monster. He's a sea monster. He has like four oh. limbs and a big tail. He's just kind of humanoid and but also cute, you know. Okay. Um okay. But yeah. basically like his his entire childhood, his entire life his parents are always warning him of like the monsters up on the surface, right, which are humans. Oh. Right? And this just sounds like little mermaid. I mean kind of. But kind of. But, but better. Yeah, because it okay. it turns out that the humans think the sea monsters are the threat. The sea monsters think the humans are the threat. Mm. And I'll just say, without spoiling too much, because you should watch the film. It's very cute. It's very good. It, the things go well in the end instead of very poorly, like The mm. Little Mermaid. 
Yeah, that's just what that reminds me of is like there's there's an element of like don't don't explore beyond the surface um because there be monsters. Mhm. Uh, you know what else we haven't even talked about in this conversation is like the fact that like if you're going to talk about religion obviously it goes without saying that Christianity is not the only one and so like anyone who wants to talk about the relationship between culture and religion if you're going to mostly center around your own religion, which I actually think is fine. I think that's very honest to do. Mm-hmm. I think you have to talk about other religions. And I think that yes. when I've heard other Christians talk about the relationship between religion and culture, they often just loop in other religions to broad culture. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Have you also gotten that sentiment? Yeah, totally. Yes. Yeah, basically, it's like we're the Christians and then like the Muslims, the Jews, the secularists, the atheists are all over there. And they're just like they're all over there. Yeah, they're a monolith, a monolith to contend with. Yeah, I feel that. That's so annoying to me. I like I don't understand what like maybe people do that just for simplicity's sake, Mm -hmm. like Christians versus non-Christians. Like the Bible kind of does that a little bit with like Jews and Gentiles a little bit. Right. So I kind of get where it comes from, I guess. Mm -hmm. but. Yeah, but even then, like, the arc of the Bible is getting to the Apostle Paul saying there is no Jew or Gentile anymore. Mm-hmm. Every distincting, uh, yeah. like, distinction that you can think of, Christ has torn that wall down. Mm. Not even male and female at this point in the kingdom of God. And I think what I get upset about is when we just lump them all together as, like, the non-Christians. Mm-hmm. You're, doing a, you're doing a disservice to them. Because when we essentially say Christians versus non-Christians, we're, bent, we're basically saying that they are less than. Okay, I can get on board with what you're saying, but I don't think that a lot of people think that they're doing that intentionally. Right, and I, I can acknowledge that as well. Like, I, I think that eventually that does happen, but I don't think that just by labeling someone non-Christian, I don't think that necessarily means that you see them as less than. But I, I do see what you're saying with like I am gonna I'm gonna push back a little bit, and the okay. only the only reason is because for people who hold their identity as a Christian so strongly, when they hear that someone is not a Christian, there mm. is I think this immediate thought of well why are they not a Christian what you know what how can I steer them in this direction so that they are better people and that they can go to heaven and then I can go to heaven. I do think I do think that does happen more than we want to acknowledge. Yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. Like maybe it's a little bit more implicit mm-hmm. than explicit. Like yeah. I don't know, to use another example that's not religiously oriented. I think that that happens in the coffee world too. Like mm-hmm. people are totally like, "Well, this is my favorite coffee shop or my favorite coffee," and like I know that I know better than you because this is my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like it is dumb, but I I see what you're saying. I I can get on board with that. There, you even get the sense of like somebody asks you if they listen or if you listen to the same podcast, and you're like, no, that one's not for me. And they're like, oh, all right, hmm. Mm-hmm. I that that's just a pervasive attitude. I feel like, yeah. Okay. You know with that said, do you think it is then possible at all? to be outwardly focused from your faith, like religion to culture, and not have a superiority complex? Like, can you meaningfully (laughs) impact people around you without implicitly believing that you are better than them? I would would hope 
hope so. But I, <laughs> I think if we're if we're human, we I'm a human, so I acknowledge that there are times where I will very briefly think to myself that I am better than someone else. And that is be- simply because totally. I am human and that is just how it is. But I think at the core, yes, I think I I think I am capable of <laughs> now whether or not it happens as much as it should is one thing. But I I I do think it is po- and maybe it's me putting on my rose colored lenses a little bit and I can acknowledge that as well. But I think it is possible to achieve that. Whether or not it's happening is another story. What about you, Stephen? What's your opinion on that? I think I'm kind of with Emily where I kind of, I wish it would be true. I just wonder what that would manifest as, you know, like if, if there was a way to humbly share the things that I value most with someone without having to, or without having or appearing to have a superior superiority complex, like could you ever humbly be like bullhorn preacher guy? Well, Josh, you'll oh. have to ask next time you see them. Or Man. or like how how different mm. would my tactic become, you know? Like would it literally just be like Right. I noticed my next door neighbor is having a bad day, so I'm going to like bring them cookies or something. I like I don't know how like how that translates into either being big bombastic like we're going to change the world by having a 50 campus megachurch or mm. You know, or you're just like inviting people to plant tomatoes at your community garden. Well, you know, and the like, other side of that is also acknowledging <laughs> it's other people's perspective of you. So I was just going to say you, that. You, oh, my bringing, God. Yeah. You bringing a plate of cookies to your neighbor. You may not see that as being, oh, I'm superior, or, you know, whatever. But they may see it as, oh, these people think they're so much better than me because they can make homemade cookies and bring it to my house. And, mm-hmm. you know, I use store-bought cookies. It's like, why do we why do we instigate this? I th- I think that's the thing that bothers me the most when I think about humbly representing yourself and not having a superiority complex is because you could be doing something genuinely because you just want to. And there always is going to be someone who will view you as, well, you think you're better than me. And here's Mm. A, B, and C. There's always going to be someone. And I just wish that that wouldn't happen. <laughs> like, but that's can- it's so much easier. It's so much easier to effectively prove them wrong if the relationship is, is close. You know, like it is. I do that for one neighbor. Another notice. Another neighbor notices that I haven't brought them cookies or whatever. Like the the act of like giving one person a gift might be interpreted as I think I'm superior, and then a third party observer might be like. Oh, I mean, he thinks he's better than me. He can't bring me a gift, you know? Mm-hmm. So there, there is that interpretation game. But like, given our proximity, I have so many more opportunities to show them like where my heart is truly at. If I'm like, if I'm really trying to sincerely live out of a, a place of humility, whereas like you can you can scroll the best intentions over Twitter but of course you're going to like a person that's not humanized to you that you literally only see on Twitter. You're going to be like, that person thinks they literally know everything, you know, I, mm, mm, mm-hmm. mm, you know, there it's, it, there is a proximity thing to that. I think um, there's also a relation. Well, with proximity, a relational, I'm not going to bring a plate of cookies to the elderly lady next door who really needs her sidewalk shoveled. Whereas 
maybe the family next door that doesn't have time to bake, I'll bring them a plate of cookies. Like I can show love and compassion Mm. in different ways and Mm. still be humble and authentic to who I am, depending on what the need or what I feel the need of that person is. Because in that case, if I if I just bring a plate of cookies to everyone, am I really like (laughs) what good does that do? Mm. Whereas if it's what are the needs of this person or, you know, what are the needs that I can satisfy in whatever way, then I think that is more wholesome. And that's what's important. Stephen, I like your question about humility. Like, can you actually humbly be loud and influential? Mm -hmm. I really like that question. Because not only do I think that you get that in something like Christian missions and or outreach, like whatever you call it, like people obviously think that they have something valuable to share with other people that is worth hearing. And there's like an interesting value argument there. But you also approach that with marketing of a product. And certainly that happens in churches because obviously like church is a business. Mm -hmm. And so like you have to market it somehow, whether it's the culture or Jesus. Like sometimes I feel like people really try to market Jesus, which I get, (laughs) but also it it like turns me off. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I do think that there's a strange cognitive dissonance when you're like, this is the best thing ever. Like it invites a strange like, prove me wrong like steven crowder kind of situation like change my mind this is the best yeah Hmm. yeah yeah but not everyone's prepared to like actually discuss that like Mm -hmm. i think that it's also a strange dynamic when a business does that like for instance at my job we do talk about humble excellence like we do do a lot of things quote unquote right or like in a really really excellent way but we don't like we don't talk about it all the time because like obviously not everyone's also going to appreciate things like that either. Mm, yeah, right. But like for people who do, they recognize those things. Like I even had a guy today who just gave me a generic like, I noticed like how really close you guys pay attention to the details in these and these and these ways. And I was like, oh, thank you. That's really kind of you to say. And I do think that whether it's like business or in a religion, like if we're going to talk about how religion messages or influences different people around them i think you're right that it is strange territory when you act like you have something valuable or meaningful to give to someone and you like in some way have to convince them of that without acting like you are superior to them Mm, and that is a really strange balance that honestly i don't think a lot of people master right i am thinking now about first remove the speck in your own eye before the plank in another and like the way modern religion attempts to create or influence or transform or insert verb here the culture around them they talk about the culture around them a lot but i feel like the most like unhealthy versions of that that do tend in my experience to be the loudest about like influencing the culture around them are the ones that are like so blindsided to the unhealthy things going on in their culture. And maybe that's what I was trying to, trying to point out at the beginning where it's like mm. they're trying to in an, in an attempt to create a counterculture against something they don't like. Sometimes uh, like an attitude arises that they, they don't really understand they're, that they're creating their own culture by doing so, you know? And so thinking about that, that speck and plank verse, if we just focus on, promoting and creating like 
the healthiest cultures we can in the coffee shop or in Cody, Wyoming, or, or if we're honest, like if we are doing good, dedicated work to create a a healthy culture, even in the Ravel discord, you know, like we have a whole Mm. channel called cultural culture and rules where we kind of laid out, Mm. like, these are the Mm -hmm. things we value as a group. And if you're not cool with that, like we might invite you to leave. Um, (laughs) but that's such a generous way to put that. (laughs) I know. Thank you. It's very diplomatic. Um, but if we want to be the best, like critics, humble critics of culture that we don't like on the outside, whether that be a different religion or like the quote unquote secular culture, uh, maybe the best critique of that is just to create like the healthiest culture you can with the thing you're trying to create. And in that way, like eventually, I don't know that this sounds like really canned, like, you know, just like live a Christian life and people will start wondering why you're doing that. But like, if you create a culture good enough and like healthy enough, eventually that speaks in loud ways while you still work in a humble way. Mm, mm-hmm. hmm. I don't know. I have a curveball question. Okay. I'm go- ready. Go for it. Go for it. So discussing the, the, I don't know, maybe clashes between religion and culture or, you know, the overlaps. Um, do you think it has already happened that in the like in the same way we can talk about people being like observant catholic versus cultural catholic or like cultural judaism or cultural muslim like they don't have the belief but because they grew up in that setting they just recognize that like because that's where they came from they just recognize that that's how they're going to operate in the world do you think that is happening or has already happened to like American evangelicalism? Like, can you be a cultural evangelical without holding the values of like an evangelical Christian faith? Oh man. Okay. I feel like immediately I am thinking of two things. Number one, I feel like a lot of people in this world would call me culturally Christian, like a nominal Christian because like I talk about Christianity, I talk about my interest in it, but I am not an active church member anywhere. And I haven't been for now two years. Right. I mm-hmm. I was active in a church before then, but even then I was not considered a member. So mm-hmm. like, depending on your definition, some people would call me just like a cultural Christian, quote yeah. unquote. But then I'm also thinking of some people like Jordan Peterson, as much as I do not like him for some psychological reasons. Not like, not like he, he's broken as a person, but like, like in the discipline of psychology. <laughs> you don't like his psychology um, takes. Yeah, right. Although, honestly, his meat eating thing might have been a little bit of a breakdown. Anyway, um, like people like Jordan Peterson have commented about how, like on a societal level, he argues that places like America and even Canada are largely culturally Christian and should be considered as such because the way its values system has been built mostly reflects the values of Christianity, mm-hmm. yeah, largely. And therefore, we are therefore steeped in a Christian culture. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily like everyone's Christian, but like our culture has been largely influenced by Christianity. Influenced, yeah. And I think that's fascinating. Like, I think you could argue in circles around that for a while, but like your question, Stephen, made me think of both of those things. And that's I think that's interesting. One. What about you, Emily? Any thoughts? I don't, e- I don't, I don't even know how to answer that. And I think it's... I think it's because I 
am coming from a perspective where I am just deeply ingrained in Christianity. Like mm. I, I don't just attend a church. I run a church. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> my sure. My whole, my whole upbringing revolves around Christianity. My education was a Christian institution. It, yeah, I, I wish I could answer that, but I feel like I'm coming from a perspective that doesn't allow that kind of interpretation i guess mm-hmm. but i'd be fascinated to i i completely see what josh is saying and i agree and i think those are i think those are valid points that you raise yeah. you should join my church josh just kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know if i would is that a conflict of interest i don't know you could be a member at large that's a thing that, that's a, what that's a no way what, what would that mean so like you are a member but you like because you don't physically step foot in my church, but you still hold membership with my church. Oh, oh, growing up, we just called that. They shouldn't be a member here anymore. <laughs> yeah, because I have because I have people who they still like will pay like they do tithes and offerings and whatnot, but they just don't physically come to church. But they still hold on to huh. wanting to be a member of the church. And we acknowledge that. So we're like, cool, they're a member at large then. Like, that's awesome. That's fascinating. I've never heard of that before. That is really interesting. And that it's almost... not like an official title. Like that's just what I call it. Oh, okay. It's not part of the message. Because we definitely structure. have those people that like they have not stepped foot in the church. We contact them. We never hear from them. And we just say, Do we take them off the logs or do we keep them? I don't mm. know. But like if they actually still maintain connection, they just don't physically come, then yeah, you're still a member uh, of the church. Like sure. pff, duh. So what what inspired the question is I was recently watching um, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon. Oh yeah, and yeah. and in that yes. story, like that is a culturally Jewish family. Like they observe the holidays. They do like they're embedded in the Jewish neighborhoods of New York, right? And mm-hmm. you know, doing life together. But a handful of the characters like would explicitly identify as like atheists in their religious beliefs but they're culturally Jewish. Yeah. Um, so that's what inspired the question. Emily, you just got me thinking of like this membership at large, like are Christer Christians, the original, like cultural Christians. Cause like yes. they're just observing the holiday, maybe out of, yes. sen- out of a sense of guilt, but like they're just there because it's something Christers. they do. The Christers. Oh, they're, a, they're a joy, man. They are a joy. <laughs> Uh, growing up, I heard them called CEOs, Christmas and Easter onlys. <gasps> CEOs, oh, that's which I think cute. is funny. That's right. cute. I like that. Which, honestly, as someone who is pretty much a CEO right now in terms of Christianity, a um, partly because of COVID, but also where I'm at with church these days, I I, I can appreciate the ritual aspect to it. Like, sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, like I can't let go of Christianity so much that. I want to celebrate the holidays. Yeah. And to be honest, it's a strange feeling that I did not expect to have. And yet here we are. As it is warm here in Seattle, I cannot stop thinking about is culture just the air conditioning between people? And when we say we want to share the culture, we just want to share the air in between us and let other people feel like the refreshment or the heat or the whatever. Or I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm like I'm just like thinking about like stupid analogies now. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for talking about this with me, you guys. I thank you. I don't for think we landed it on anything conclusive. Once again, welcome to Ravel. 
Um, hey. but That's I appreciate appreciate you guys talking about religion and culture. Yeah. Any uh, final thoughts as we wrap up? I guess I have a quick plug, if I can. Um, I recently... <gasps> oh, okay. oh, is someone trying to be a culture influencer here again? Yeah, here okay. I go. Yeah, okay. Um, go for it. Sure. I, I don't know when it's going to be out, but um, I just recently recorded an episode of the Growing Up Christian podcast with my friend Sam Shipman and his co-host Casey. Sam was a guest on No Normal People just recently. Yeah, I I got to be on their show and we talked all sorts of fun stuff like Awanas and purity ceremonies and the time that like after my girlfriend at the time, my wife now, after she and I started getting a little frisky before marriage, um, the the morning after my purity (laughs) ring had cracked in half. So I tell that story Mm. and I had a ton of fun. Oh, that's fun. There's a there's a joke in there somewhere. Oh, I felt I thought it was a sign from God, if I'm honest. So I talk about That's that. That's because it was. Oh. That's because it was, Stephen. Okay. No, just well, kidding. just kidding. just a new dose of Stephen anxiety be like, for me. Then. God took my virginity. Yeah. <gasps> God, <laughs> God broke my purity. Oh my um, goodness! Incredible. Yeah. So I, I was on Growing Up Christian, and everyone should go check out that show, especially if you like Ravel. Uh, they yeah. tell all sorts of fun stories. Emily, I was going to tell you since you are about to have a child, and you are literally a pastor. <gasps> oh yeah. Uh, my internet friend Piper is officially launching her show called Pastor's Kid, where she's like interviewing okay. pastor's kids. And it's like all about like growing up as a pastor's kid, how you've changed since being a pastor's kid and like everything oh in between. So my. like, well, if I feel she, like it's totally for like PKs like me, but also like pastors like you. If and she wants an infant's like perspective, let me know. An infant. I'm sure Thea good. will have so much to share. That's good. She's actually like going to figure out how to like have kids on it, which I think is really, really cool. That is so neat. Yes. I love that. Josh, you were on that show, correct? I was. My episode will be coming out sometime. She's like just launching it soon. So right. I think it'll be a little bit before my episode comes out. But yes, I am one of the featured Fantastic. guests on there. So <gasps> if pastors, kids and to. like the way that culture has influenced them or the way that they have moved on from religion or their religion has affected culture. Yeah. I feel like that will also be an enjoyable listen too. And if you want an origin story on Piper, she's going to be on No Normal People coming up soon. <gasps> yes. There you go. Uh, yes. Look I'm at all so these crossovers happening. Absolutely. Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, Emily, since this is going to be the second to last episode that you're on, for the near future. The penultimate, as it were. Yes. Will you give us a blessing on the way out? Sure. Whether we look at culture and religion as one and the same, two sides of a coin, or interchangeable, definitions and terminology can be difficult, but we are raveling this out together. We are a part of this crazy journey, and just know that it's a process that is beautiful as we embark on it together. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench. 
Every episode, we pair a new and delicious cocktail with a roundtable discussion about philosophy, politics, or current events. Whether we're tackling the January 6th Capitol riots or Twitter's censorship faux pas, we aim to look past the simple answers and discuss the complexity of our world. Or we discuss the unanswerable philosophical questions like if mankind is fundamentally good or evil. And I discover I might be a communist. So follow the Whiskey Bench if you're into questions like these. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.